bulletin. It's about the death of John the Baptist. And I have made a slight change and am reading from the Good News Bible. Be slightly different from what you see on the screen. Now, King Herod heard about all this because Jesus' reputation had spread everywhere. Some people were saying, John the Baptist has come back to life. That is why he has this power to perform miracles. Others, however, said, he's Elijah. Others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. When Herod heard this, he said, he is John the Baptist. I had his head cut off, but he has come back to life. Herod himself had ordered John's arrest, and he had him tied up and put in prison. Herod did this because Herodotus, whom he had married, even though she was the wife of his brother Philip, John the Baptist kept telling Herod, it isn't right for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodotus held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she could not because of Herod. Herod was afraid of John because he knew that John was a good and holy man, and so he kept him safe. He liked to listen to him, even though he became greatly disturbed every time he heard him. Finally, Herodus got her chance. It was on Herod's birthday when he gave a feast for all the top government officials, the military chiefs, and the leading citizens of Galilee. The daughter of Herodotus came in and danced and pleased Herod and his guests. So the king said to the girl, what would you like to have? I will give you anything you want. With many vows, he said to her, I swear that I will give you anything you ask for, even as much as half my kingdom. So the girl went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, her mother answered. The girl hurried back at once to the king and demanded, I want you to give me here and now the head of John the Baptist on a plate. This made the king very sad, but he could not refuse her because of the vows he had made in front of all the guests. So he sent off a guard at once with orders to bring John's head. The guard left, went to the prison, and cut John's head off. Then he brought it in on a plate and gave it to the girl who gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about this, they came and got his body and buried it. The word of God for the people of God. And now we have our guest speaker today. Good morning again, everybody. Give me a second to get adjusted here. I got too many pages up here. All right. I guess let's begin. Do you ever feel like you're inside of a pressure cooker 
like you're being pushed and pulled every direction all at the same time, being pulled on the left, the right, this way, that way, up and down. We've all got to live with pressures of all different types, but the one that I'm going to talk about specifically today is what's commonly referred to as peer pressure, or what I've started calling people pressure. And let me tell you, peer pressure isn't just for school-aged kids that live with pressures of drinking and partying. It's so much more than that, and, and it probably affects your adult life more than you realize. People pressure is more different than pressure from circumstances or schedules because we can control those things a little bit, but pressure from other people, we can't really control it, and it can be rough. So we have to figure out how we're going to respond to it. We can allow ourselves to be manipulated to fit the mold of these people's expectations, or we can get out of the cooker and think clearly to make the right decisions. The story today of the beheading of John the Baptist from the Gospel of Mark is an incredibly sad story involving very heavy people pressure. And as a matter of fact, when I started preparing for my sermon today, I wanted to start out with a funny little story, you know, like the kind that Pastor Steve starts out with sometimes, <clears throat> the kind of story that's funny and attention-grabbing, but also relevant to the message. So I went to Google and I typed in funny peer pressure stories and I got nothing. The only stories that there were of people that were influenced into doing things were things that they later regretted. I got nothing because there is nothing funny about being pressured by other people into making wrong or bad choices. And so often, the only reason that we go along with these bad choices and decisions is to save face. We're trying not to look weak in front of other people. We don't want to get embarrassed, even if that means doing stupid things and making stupid promises like in our story today. Our story starts off with King Herod, not Herod the Great, but his son Herod Antipas. I'm not going to lie, when I sat down in preparation for today, I was confused by how many Herods there are in the Bible. It turns out there's six of them. And if you remember, my last sermon was about Herod the Great. This time I'm talking about Herod Antipas, who is his son. I know I'm the kind of person that likes to know exactly what's going on. And uh, whenever I'm reading about the Bible, I like to know who I'm learning about so that I can understand it better. So I actually made a little Herod family tree and put it in your bulletin. It might help you get a better grasp of who everybody is in this story. And if you already know who everybody is, then good job, because it can get really confusing. <laughs> anyway, Herod Antipas, like I said, was Herod the Great's son. He was one of four sons, actually. His brother, Aristobulus, had a daughter whom he named Herodias. If you're following me so far, that means Herodias is Antipas's niece. Now, Herodias at some point married Antipas's other brother, Philip, who was her uncle, and they divorced later on, and after that is when she married Herod Antipas. So basically, Herodias married her uncle, divorced him, and then married her other uncle, because you know how royal families like to do things. 
Herod Antipas had unlawfully married Herodias, not because she was his niece, but because she had already been married to his brother, Philip. We see in this story, for Herod himself had sent men who arrested John the Baptist, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John the Baptist, had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John the Baptist, knowing he was a righteous and holy man, and Herod, Antipas, protected him. Herod was intrigued by John the Baptist. He enjoyed talking with John, but Herodias was a people pusher. She wanted to have her own way by any means necessary, and like her grandfather, Herod the Great, she was a master manipulator. She is somebody who frequently acted out of personal ambition and pride to get whatever she wanted, and Herodias set up her husband, Herod Antipas. She is the one who decided to have the banquet for his birthday. She made out the guest list and invited all the right people to go along that she would knew, knew would go along with her scheme. She used her daughter, Salome. I don't think they mention her name, actually, in this passage, but her name is Salome. She used her daughter, Salome, to dance in front of Herod and his guests. By the way, Salome is also not only Herod Antipas's niece, it's also his stepdaughter. It gets really confusing. So she was dancing in front of his guests, and I can guarantee you that she was not doing the cha-cha slide or the bunny hop either. Although a poor Salome, she didn't know it or realize it, at least not at that time, she was just a pawn. She had no idea that she was being used in such a way by her mother. Salome was just having fun at a birthday party when she became a ploy, skillfully executed by her mother as she worked out her devious schemes. It was Herodias who set up the perfect storm of events to convince Herod to kill a man that he actually really liked. Herod and his guests enjoyed Salome's dancing so much that he decided to offer her whatever she wanted up to half of the kingdom. And I'm sure that she was used to her mother telling her what to do since she was such a master manipulator. So she goes to Herodias saying, Mom, what should I ask for? And that's when we get the famous reply, the head of John the baptizer. So what does Herod do? He doesn't want to look weak in front of his guests. He doesn't want to look weak to his wife or to his stepdaughter or niece. He doesn't want grief for breaking a promise, for going back on his word. He was in that awkward situation where everybody's looking at him, awaiting his reply. Will he? Or won't he do this? The guests didn't say anything. While all of this was going on, they just sat there, and when Herod made his foolish promise to Salome, no one spoke out to make him question what the implications of his foolishness would produce. If Herodias was the pressure pusher, the guests were the pressure perpetuators. When Salome said, I want you at once to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Again, nobody spoke out against the horrific act that was going to take place. They were all silent, but in their silence, 
they perpetuated the pressure that Herod felt. In fact, they participated in the cruel act that followed. Herein lies a useful lesson in life. Do we keep silent when we see others manipulated or pressured? Do we just sit and watch to see what they will do? Do we, in doing so, add to the pressure that they feel? Or do we speak up and give them the freedom to be the unique people that God has created them to be? Do we let people know that they don't have to please us, that our friendship or love to commitment is not based on their agreeing with us? Do we let people know that they don't have to live their lives asking themselves the question, what will they think of me? The only person that we need to please is God. The question that we need to have before us at all times is not, what will they think of me, but rather, what will God think of me? There's pressure everywhere. Pressure from situations and circumstances Pressure from people and even pressure that we put on ourselves. How do we respond to it? We can respond like Herod and be manipulated by it to the point where we are forced to make decisions contrary to what we know to be right. Or we can refuse to yield to it and seek the will of God instead. The key to withstanding the pressures which come upon us is found in the life of Jesus. How did he respond? Jesus knew what it was to endure pressures from other people. There were a lot of people that wanted Jesus to jump through their little hoops, to perform for them, to say the right things in the right way. There were the Sadducees who wanted him to stay out of politics. There were the Pharisees who wanted him to respect all of the traditions of their denomination. And there were the Zealots who wanted him to overthrow Rome and set up a kingdom here on earth. But Jesus didn't respond to any of these pressures. Rather, he simply sought out the will of his father and did that instead. Don't be like Herod Antipas, awaiting that approving nod from others and doing what you know is wrong, abiding to the will of another instead of to the will of God. Recognize that peer pressure exists in the adult world. Jesus acted instead of reacting. He never did anything because of the pressures of the people. Jesus never worried about what the people thought. He knew it was his mission to do his father's will. It was his first and only priority, and it should be ours as well. Amen.